David Delaney is the founder and CEO of Tinbound, a research and advisory firm focused and dedicated to sales development. Tinbound has become the hub of the sales development industry with a thriving online research center, market map, tool directory, training and consulting programs, and the Tinbound sales development conferences, which are held yearly around the world and virtually. In this episode, we talk about what David sees as the toughest problems facing B2B revenue teams in 2023. David gives us his predictions for the sales technology market. David also talks about his book, The Sales Development Framework, and we wrap up with his advice for all new sales consultants. What do you see as some of the toughest problems facing revenue teams and what are some of the best teams doing right now to address those issues? Yeah, I mean, I think it's the macroeconomic headwinds that we're against and and especially in the tech industry. And, and you and I, you know, are mainly working with companies in the tech industry where, um, you know, we're we're in a retraction right now. And I, I don't know if it's going to be necessarily a recession, but definitely companies are starting to pull in and, and look at um, efficiency uh, versus just a few months ago, it was growth um, and trying to grow as fast as possible. So especially with the SDR teams and, and the, the AEs and even RevOps, um, it's shifting from growth at all costs to how efficient can we run this organization and, and uh, make sure that we're really um, you know, squeezing it as hard as we can to achieve our goal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, for you know, from a leadership perspective, it's it's um, it's a huge expense, you know, uh, for companies to to invest in their revenue generation organization. And so they're they're right now, it's uh, how efficient can we run this, and and um, how can we still reach our goals in a in a more efficient manner um and so you know us within as individual contributors we have to figure out how to do that right yeah it's uh it's ugly outside as they say and as we record this podcast it's uh <laughs> it's both of us sitting in california it's doom and gloom outside literally with rain and, and so forth but the market and the economics seem to be looking like that and it's confusing one day you open it up and it's yeah recession is inevitable the next is you know we're we're, we're looking good and we might be able to fend it off job markets getting better and these mixed reports mixed insights but yeah, other than exactly. layoffs you know other than laying people off how can you know or what do you see as far as what companies are doing to to do more with less how do they you know become lean uh, outside of the layoffs we know that's part of cost reduction but how are they, what, what, is it, it optimizing tech stack? Um, where, where do you go with that? What do you do to stay a competitive in this marketplace with maybe less resources? Yeah, definitely. And it's, it's definitely not all doom and gloom. I mean, there's a, still a lot of companies and actually some of the more successful companies really focus on growth. You know, when everybody else is right. going one way, they, they go the other and, you know, and also if they have great product market fit and they've got a great brand and, you know, there's there's all sorts of subtlety. So this is definitely like a w wide sweeping generalization. Um, but, but you know, some of the best companies, are, they're just taking a closer look at uh, all aspects of efficiency, whether it's people, the processes that they have, the technology that that's plugged in. Um, it's It's gone from the CEO, you know, running the the revenue engine to the CFO running the revenue engine uh -huh. to some extent, where 
It's like, do are, do we have the right number of people on the team? Do we have our the processes really dialed in and are we effective in those? And then is the is all the technology necessary? Um, are we do we know, you know, are, are we getting the ROI out of all the different technology that we've plugged in over the last five years? And, um, you know, if if the answer in looking at all those is we're not as efficient and and um, productive as we should be, you know, in some cases there's cuts and deep cuts across all three of those. Right. Yeah. And one, I've had another conversation, another interview that we'll have here on the pod uh, where we focus a lot on coaching in that conversation and uh, being more mindful of our frontline management practices as well so that we can, uh, you know, make the most of who we do have on the team, the tools that we do have on the team and make sure that our processes are streamlined and friction is removed and so forth. So there's definitely a a, a big focus there. So thank you. Thank you for that. I I think that's definitely definitely, uh, consistent with what we're hearing. Now you mentioned tech and maybe making cuts and things of that sort. Uh, You also mentioned, you know, headwinds in the economy. We know that VC funding is consolidating as well. And again, both of us working with a lot of sales companies, a lot of them are VC backed. uh, So this affects the sector a lot. Now, with that, Tenbound has this phenomenal market map. I know firsthand how effective and how useful it is. Uh, companies worked on uh, it. Yeah, worked on it firsthand <laughs> myself. Um, so the, the Tenbound market map is a, a, a place that buyers or even anyone who's considering sales development, sales, rev ops technology can go to see what the latest and greatest are and compare options, right? We've got 25 different categories, over 25 categories, over 300 companies deep. So there's plenty of good stuff in there. Now you're, because of that, very close to the adjustments in the marketplace when it comes to sales tech. So what are your predictions for 2023? With everything that you said and what we're seeing, what do you anticipate is going to happen in the sales tech space uh, from, you know, if, if you're running a sales tech company, that lens, but also from a buying perspective, what do you think is going to happen in that, in that space? Yeah, I mean, it's amazing if you look at the the evolution and the growth, there was almost like an explosion of sales tech tools and services too. There's a whole section of services to help sales teams be more effective. And this didn't even exist. I mean, you know, on some scale only, you know, probably 10 years ago or or something like that. So the explosion of all these tools has been awesome. And, and literally the, all the different problems that you run into as a salesperson or a sales manager running an SDR team, um, someone is out there addressing and, and trying to solve. And so you see on the market map that during the growth period, that really grew to, yeah, like you said, I mean, there's 500 companies plus on the map that that serve the market. And um, it'll be interesting to see, there's still problems out there that need to be solved. And there's really bright people working on those. So even, you know, every day you, you still see new companies popping up to address those and, and um, with really interesting, cool solutions and right. and things that can really help people. Now on the flip side, you know, as we start to try to drive efficiency more in this this marketplace, there there's going to be a lot of skepticism, you know, put on the tools that you have in place 
and um, and and just more eyeballs on the the tool stack and net making sure that the pro processes are on point and that we need all these things. And so I, you know, looking out into the near term, I think that there'll definitely be consolidation. And there's a couple of the bigger companies in the sales tech industry that are either buying companies or mm. they're just um, rolling out the features that are a copy of the point solutions that you see. Um, and I won't name any names, but there's some big gorillas, you know, in the sales tech market that are gonna be you know, sucking up some of the the companies and and creating it on their own, so that you'll see consolidation. Um, some of the companies will go out of business um, because there's not enough, you know, for for them to do. Um, when people start to rip things out, and then you're going to see new companies come up um, that are that are on the next market map. And people are asking me all the time, when's the next market map coming out? And and um, you know, hey, work on like that. you said, you, you worked on it, man. It's a lot of work <laughs> to is, like try to track all these things. All those changes. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's why I wanted to tee up the question. I know it was a lot yeah. of work for us to keep that thing current every quarter. And, uh, you know, we oh, go yeah. real deep to make sure that we capture all that. You know, on that uh, 2021, we saw a ton of consolidation, right? I think that's when yeah. we saw Zoom uh, doing a lot of acquisition uh, themselves. Oracle did quite a bit. Adobe you know, these are those behemoths that are gobbling up, you know, organizations that are maybe point solutions now making part of their platform. Uh, so yeah, I, I agree. I would anticipate there, this would be the time for, for a lot of that. And in terms of new tech, I'm curious what you're seeing and uh, what, you know, we had conversational intelligence, sales engagement platforms and sales enablement, revenue operations platforms. We've had a lot of new tech in the last two or three years really come on the scene heavy. Um, what do you is 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 AI the next thing? And we have this chatbot G A G P T. I forget the acronym. I'm sorry, but uh, you know AI is really seeming to come on the scene, and specifically around where, where we specialize in sales development, email writing, chatbots on the web, and really having a lengthy dialogue up to the point where you, you kind of minimize the role of the SDR slash salesperson. Do you think AI is kind of the next hot thing, or is there something else out there that we're not seeing? Yeah, I mean, you, you definitely you hit it on the head. Ch Chat GPT and and you, um, GPT. Mm -hmm. yeah, just really, it's like that killer app. You know, finally something that everybody could use and mess around with and realize how powerful it could be. And I I think that definitely in the near term, you're going to start seeing um, that application interacting with all the different sales tools in a lot of different ways. It really opens up a whole world of possibilities in just creating the text and the um, the context for the messaging that you put out. And, right. and um, but I, I still, I mean, on the flip side though, you still have to have a human being to, to, to just engage it and put it into a, a, a message, for example, that, that um, is, is correct for the audience that you're putting out to you. It's not quite at the point where, you can just get rid of SDRs and push a button and you're all good to go. Right. Um, so, but I, I definitely AI, you know, since the chat GPT came out and showed everybody, I think that's going to make a huge, huge impact on the market map. Right, right. And yeah. we saw Microsoft's what, $10 billion investment in, oh, yeah. into that space. So that's a big signal in itself. 
Uh, yeah, and I don't think amazing. I've always said, and you know this about me, that uh, the future of sales management is as much about managing tech as it is about managing people. Uh, something that I've always tried to kind of promote and encourage people to uh, adopt the technology and embrace it and lean in as opposed to seeing how it replaces us or any of these sorts of things are still absolutely always, as long as people are buying, going to be a people for a place for people in that process. And it's mm -hmm. just helping us do that better and uh, more efficiently. So speaking to the efficiency gains okay. that we're looking for, that's why I thought maybe AI is kind of what, what might emerge on the scene. So uh, transitioning, uh, I have read your book multiple times and not only have I Thank you. read the book multiple times, but I've trained to it with uh, 10 bound clients. So I know it backwards and forwards. Um, but I, I want to hear from you and you have a co-author, uh, Kyle, uh, on this book as well. Yep. But now this is called the sales development framework, how to build and scale a high productive sales development program, right? Mm -hmm. So if you are in the sales development space and you don't have this book, you are slipping. Make sure you <laughs> cop that book for sure. And, and I think David will sign it for you too, if you ask him nicely. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, so in that framework, you have eight sections that outline that operating system. Uh, we can go through all eight, but I know one stands out to you uh, the most. The first is culture, leadership is the second, and it gets into hiring, coaching, analysis, results, reputation. I love that you have reputation built in there. Um, something we had a lot of fun with in, in our training sessions, but which of these pillars stands out to you the most, uh, and, and why? Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. I just, I had been running SDR teams for a few years and I kind of did a brain dump, especially when we started working with clients. Okay. What are the things uh, that we need to be thinking about in starting an SDR team? And it's, it's, you know, a few years ago, almost every tech company had an STR team. So it's like, what what are, what are the steps that we have to do, and what's the angle that we could take that's a little bit different than your your usual, you know, uh, sales management book. And um, one of the things that I I saw missing from a lot of the methodologies that that ends up being hugely important is establishing a culture on the team and something that's additive to the company culture. You know, usually companies have a, a culture um, that's either created or um, it can be positive or can be negative. Um, but but what's the culture of your actual SDR team? And how are you thinking about that? And how are you living that culture? And that, it's just something that I saw, you know, not a lot of people thinking about or even being able to sort of put into a context. And so that's where we actually start with the book. Okay. What's the culture going to be for your SDR program? Right. Right. And I know you go through several exercises in the book about how do you, you know, form your team culture statement? How do you identify, you know, what your ideal team member sort of looks like, which bleeds into, you know, hiring and, and so forth. Uh, so yeah. I love that it comes first because, yeah, it's foundational. You got to establish the culture before you can get into the operationalizing of other areas of the business. In that, uh, and because we call this the Sales Consultant Podcast, I have to give a shout out to Peter Drucker, the man who created uh, management consulting. But do you subscribe to his philosophy uh, of of how culture eats? Uh, strategy for breakfast. I know some people don't necessarily buy in completely to the culture mantra, but uh, what, what are your yeah. views? Is that the competitive advantage that companies need to uh, be aware of and be taken serious in 2023? 
Yeah, big time. I mean, because I think if if you um, if you think about culture, that um, if you don't, uh, you know, uh, put it into some sort of framework and and create it yourself, then some sort of culture will be created, um, and and it's sort of created in a vacuum. Um, and you've been at the companies before where there really wasn't a culture, or it was sort of a negative culture. And, um, you know, it, it just sucked, at, at least for me, you know, it's just mm -hmm. been, um, you know, one of those experiences where, uh, you know, you, 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 there's no foundation really. And you feel like sort of a free agent and at any moment you could get fired or, or just quit. Right. And, but on the flip side, I've worked at companies where they had an amazing culture and, and, um, you, you know, there was a vibe. Um, of working there that made made it positive and had a lot of momentum. And the reason that that was, was that the company really thought about what is the culture that we're trying to create here and how do we make it positive? And, and so this is sort of a miniature version of that um, on your own team. Yeah, absolutely. The micro culture, as I like to refer to it yeah. uh, in engagements. Yeah. You, the, the, you have the macro culture, which is the company mission and core sure. values, credo, all those things. And then you get into the team dynamics, because again, a sales development team specifically has its own yeah, style of work, world of work, if you will. It's not like being an AE. It's, it's separate from a lot of other areas of the business, but yet bleeds into so many areas of the business. And naturally, you're right. Even if you don't mindfully craft the culture, it will evolve on its own. And so it, it can kind of become its own thing, or it can be something that yeah, can, can, can work for you. Do you think, though, yeah. when we, we focus a lot on culture, um, that we pigeonhole ourselves a bit when it comes to uh, developing diversity in the organization? Or how do you overcome that? I, I think that's sort of the debate is when we have this culture, and sometimes that's interpreted as people who are like me, um, translates into mm -hmm. hiring people that kind of are similar and, and don't lend itself to much neurodiversity. Do yeah. you think that's a reality? Uh, and if so, how do, can we overcome that? Yeah, I mean, that's so taking a step back, if you look at the how um, the the business looks at an SDR team or a sales team, for example, and is this team successful and is it creating pipeline and revenue at an efficient rate, you know, right. based on on the business goals that we have in place? And, and um, you know, you're kind of building it back from what's really, really important to the business, then that sort of transcends the other um, aspects of it. So it, it really, it encourages diversity in some way in that you're, you don't really look at it on the fact that we're trying to create a bunch of tech bros and everyone's wearing a, <laughs> a Patagonia jacket, like I, I'm in trouble, a, a Patagonia vest and everybody looks exactly the same. That's an element of it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, you can, you know, if, if, if you're trying to create a high performance culture, that's really serving the business and, and giving everyone a chance to be successful, then it doesn't really doesn't matter you know, what people look like or how old they are or how young they are. School There's a they very... went to necessarily, whether it was Ivy League or Ivy state League school. or mm -hmm. state school. Exactly. And, mm -hmm. and um, you know, it breaks up a lot of the, the one of the biggest issues in sales and especially in tech sales is that, um, you know, people 
have like a cognitive bias where they hire everybody that looks exactly the same. And there's this, um, you know, monolithic cookie cutter. And, um, and it really, it, it doesn't unleash the, the energy that's potentially there if you just look at it from a completely open perspective. Um, so I love that. Thank you yeah. for for touching on that. I know that's can be a, a sensitive topic sometimes. Um, you know, yes, been in a lot of different organizations and seen a lot of different cultures. And uh, I, I think the ones that are developed the best kind of start at the top, really. So if you have a, a good dynamic the culture between your executive leadership team and then that's where it permeates from uh i believe in organizations so if we have friction and lack of alignment and not a good healthy culture within our leadership organization leadership level then oh, yeah. naturally that's probably going to permeate down our frontline managers our directors we, we, we do our best to create those microcultures but uh, you know it, it's really hard if we have a healthy microculture, but that macroculture isn't uh, isn't living the, the, the vision that we expect to. So, transitioning one more time to one of your favorite topics, community, and I want to yeah. dig into this uh, with you. Now that you've launched the uh, Ten Bound Plus community, which is dedicated to SDRs, SDR managers, and operations folks supporting those teams. Right, we have the calls, we have the content, uh, we have the Q and A. It's all there and, and live and ready. So now that you've launched that, I'm curious: would you add community as a pillar or as a section in your sales development framework uh, if you were to rewrite the book today? Oh, big time! I mean, and and it's um, you know just come up, and it was even accelerated during COVID. You know, because suddenly you used to be able to go out and you could go to meetups and go to conferences and, you know, build your network in the community and lean on the community. And then all of a sudden we were stuck. Right. Right. And we, everybody was behind a screen and a number of online communities popped up and started to, um, you know, become super helpful and, and um, help you, you know, in a more efficient manner, really, than, uh, than having to go out and and actually meet people. So now, you know, as we come out of it, you've got like the best of both worlds in that you can, you can lean on a digital community uh, for help and support. uh, But you can also, you know, go out and actually meet people. Um, So I mean, for me, I mean, there's so many different aspects that are positive. One is just the fact that you can get help from from other people and um, throw, you know, sort of crowdsource exactly um, answers um, either in a free community or or a subscription community. Um, And uh, and then people are finding jobs in these communities. Uh, I know that's a big one, too. Right. I mean, that's. Yeah, uh, streamlining, you know, the hiring, recruiting and all finding of of, of new jobs. So uh, yeah. and then I know for a fact, working with a lot of SDR managers that they feel like they're on an island often, that they don't have a peer group within their organization that they can go to to uh, discuss strategy and tactics and walk through a day in the life. You know, they're partnered with people who don't do what they do often, unless they're, you know, you're part of a larger SDR organization where you have, you know, multiple SDR managers in the organizations that we often work with. It's one single SDR manager, maybe an SDR, you know, or a director of business development above them that has more of a broad focus. But 
because of that lack of peer group, that's where the community, I feel like, really lends itself because now you can immediately in real time from your phone, tap in to the community, ask that important question. What would you do in this situation? I have this going on. And that is priceless, I think. So the price tag that we put on some of these subscription-based community programs, uh, I think is a drop in the bucket when you think about getting answers to important problems, finding jobs. So I'm definitely a proponent of it. I uh, I think I was a part of another, I, mean, I don't think I know I was a part of another community, but helped a lot with, with the 10 bound plus community. So I'm a big proponent of, of that. Um, but I'm curious, how do, how do organizations though, like leverage the power of community? It's great that individuals can kind of go out and do it themselves. But if you're talking to a revenue leader, how can that revenue leader leverage the power of community within their organization or maybe get their teams to at least leverage the power? Yeah, I mean, well, the, the on the flip side, it's important that you're in the community and and uh, you you come with a spirit of empathy and and support for for other people and and um, and not use it as like a pitch vest uh, right. for your yeah, own you need company. To look at and contribute, uh, good call. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's it's so hard because as revenue leaders, like we need sales, right? And we need meetings, and we need you know we're we're behind. We gotta set some meetings. So what a great opportunity. Go into this uh, targeted community and, and start talking about your solution and try to set meetings and stuff like that. That's a big no-no. Um, a lot know, of them have rules yeah. against that and you'll get kicked out and you'll get- You will. Yeah. 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 It's got to be It's got to be coming from a place. Um, so if you're that revenue leader, I would say encourage your team and encourage people in your company to seek out communities that are focused on your solution set and join those and 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 get in there without pitching and offer uh, yourself as a resource and learn from you know the different issues that are being discussed in the community um because it, it, it's instead of being on the outside as sort of a, this vendor like looking in through the window now you're you're in there adding value um, helping people out, you know, and making connections and, uh, it, it will come back to you. It's just a little bit more of a long, you know, long tail, like, right. uh, strategy. And a lot of these leaders do have the option to invest on be, uh, for their team, right? They could get their team access to these memberships if they wanted to budget for that. And I think that's definitely an actionable item that if I'm a revenue leader and I'm thinking about the power of community, you know, I might want to earmark some budget to make sure that my, at least for maybe my managers or whatever you know, small group you want to start with if you're just getting started on that. But I imagine a lot of revenue leaders themselves are part of a community and get a lot of value from it from, from at their level. So let's just permeate that down into the the front line as well. Um, yeah, so, yeah, um, big big time on that. So transitioning again, uh, the here methodology. Let's let's talk about that. Quickly. I know I know it's a funny name and we're gonna we could pick that apart, but I love actually what it represents. Uh so here for those that aren't familiar, uh H-E-A-R-E-R -E forward slash R. And it's a scientific methodology applied to pipeline generation. Okay. Yeah. And I, I love this. On one of my previous interviews, I, I asked about the lack of scientific approaches and principles towards revenue generation and how maybe that's creating inconsistencies uh, from company to company, right? When you look at legal or finance, they have 
principles and frameworks, methodologies that they follow. So whether or not you're work for one company or another, it's pretty consistent, like maybe a lean uh, uh, approach uh, as well, those sorts of things. So here yeah, exactly. uh, stands for hy hypothesize, mm -hmm. experiment, analyze results, report on the results, examine and question the results, research further, and of course, last one, repeat. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so the one that I, I want to drill into around this, and I think it encaps a lot of what, what we're talking about with the here methodology is the E, the first E, uh, and that's experiment. So yeah. what I'm seeing a lot is uh, uh, organizations that want to do a better job of running tests and experiments around uh, email efficacy, right? Whether it be yeah. their inbound MQL cadences and the email copy there, or the outbound cadences and testing that copy. So let, can you talk to us a little bit about this? I know tools like Outreach and Sales Loft and other engagement platforms have the ability to facilitate testing with A-B testing options that, you know, or variables that you can insert at every step, which is good. But how does an organization over time, or what have you seen like over time, manage these tests? Is it a spreadsheet that they're using? Is there a tool out there? We're running multiple tests simultaneously, and we're running tests for a certain period of time. We've ran tests six months ago. We made changes and based on learnings. How do we manage that overall process? Because the more I think about it, the more my head spins. And I know that's what my clients are dealing with. So, yeah. what, and I, I know this is highly loaded of a question, but sure. when you think about running a test around uh, you know, cadences and stuff, what, what do you think about? And anything else you want to say about the HERE methodology? Yeah, I mean, definitely. It's it's always easier said than done. And that's why mm. they need sales consultants, right? Because <laughs> especially when you can look at the organization from the outside, if you've been in in the machine for too long, you you sort of start to see the same thing over and over again. What's cool about hiring a consultant is that they come in with this fresh pair of eyes and they can kind of unpack um, from a from a, a fresh perspective. Exactly. And um, you know, it, it, just taking a step back, that I can't came up with the hearer methodology because if you're in our space, you, you, you know, people are always asking, should I be cold calling? Should I be emailing? Should I be on social? And, you know, how do I know what's right for me? And I started thinking about it. it, it the, the scientific method is a, an ancient basic methodology. And, and I think one of my kids, you know, had it in their science book and I go, wait a minute, if we could apply this to especially outbound campaigns um, from a sales development perspective, this would make a lot of sense. And, and um, you know, it would give some, some methodology to being able to consistently find out what's working and what's not, and then keep changing it, right? right. Um, and so um, it goes through, you make a hypothesis about what you think is going to resonate uh, from a messaging perspective. And then you start experimenting. So if we take it to the ground, it's like, okay, um, you know, right now in our target market, a lot of people are dealing with the fact that they have to become more efficient. So my hypothesis is let's start to put efficiency into our outbound messaging and see if it resonates with the audience. And right. so we're going to sit down, let's experiment with this. So let's write out, you know, four different 
um, initial emails in the sequence and and um, plug them in. And then we're going to say we're going to test these for the next two weeks, then see what kind of conversion rates that we can start to get. Mm-hmm. And so and this is a good way to align, too, with what is marketing putting out right now um, and and, you know, what kind of PR are we putting out right now? Let's make sure that we're putting that into the experiment. And uh, what has worked in the past um, that that has it been longer emails, shorter emails? Should we put in links? Should we add it? That way we don't repeat like tests. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Right. <laughs> and get rid of the stuff that hasn't worked. Mm-hmm. And um, let's go ahead and, and launch it, you know, and then now there's a timeline and there's an actual methodology to it versus just sort of Randomness. throwing stuff at the wall constantly right or not doing anything at all i mean i think that's what we see most yeah. often is that we load a a tool that helps automate our outreach and we load it up with uh, a bunch of cadences and email copy and we start loading people into these cadences and our sdrs and salespeople start completing those tasks and we just leave it running on autopilot and yeah. you, you walk into an organization and uh, they have a sub one percent reply rate or something like that that's been going on since the, the dawn of their outreach and um they haven't iterated upon it or reinformed their their assumptions and that's, i think that's what you're saying as well right and like run these tests uh, and but also make sure you're reinforming the assumptions that you made from that marketing lens and that product lens and based on what you're learning in these tests, right? I mean, we can't yeah. just keep doing the same thing over and over again without and expect different results. That's what we're talking about here with the scientific methodology is let's make sure that we're actually iterating upon some of this. And so, you know, what I have started to do with clients is, is exactly what I mentioned earlier is just a very simple spreadsheet uh got a kind of a template running where we can run in we can track the name of the test how long we tested for how much we tested because i get that question how long should a test run but the test is also uh that's that's one part of it the other part is how much are you testing is it 50 emails per you know, you mentioned four first emails in a cadence. Do we send 50 to each and, and change? Do we do 100? But that's a philosophical thing that needs to be decided upon within the organization. Um, I think the critical mass is a few hundred, you know, to really get a healthy test. But also that might take an organization a, a week. That might take them two weeks. It just depends on the size, right? So yeah. um, you, you want to run relatively smaller tests, right? You don't want to test every uh everything before you make those iterations so um something that's really near and dear to our hearts as we work with these these teams is how we run those experiments effectively so thank you for building on that go to tenbound.com check out the here methodology there's also a link in the show notes that I'll add to um for a talk that David gave around the here technology at this most recent tenbound conference so turning uh, third base here, heading home, I got a couple of questions for you and I'll let you run. I know you got a jam-packed day. I appreciate your time so far. Um, there's a lot of people in the audience that are consultants themselves. And you've ran a consulting practice where you've had multiple consultants. I was one of them. And I'm curious, what are some top lessons that you would share with someone who's maybe looking to branch off into consulting? I think we're going to see a lot of that uh, this year. Um or someone who's running a practice right now, an independent guy like me, what are some key lessons for running a consulting practice that you would share? 
Oh, wow. <laughs> this is, it could be a whole other podcast. Right? Right? <laughs> can, well, we'll definitely get you yeah. back. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. I, I mean, so so a few things off the top of my head is you, you have to realize um, that you're really in the lead generation business. Um, and, and I think that's hard for consultants because you, you've got so much expertise and, and, um, you, 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 you bring so much to the table from your experience and, and the, the various companies that you've worked with and the results that you've driven, um, that, that you would think that the phone would be ringing off the hook, you know, oh, constantly. Yeah. And, um, and you, you just, you always have to realize that, um, you know, the, the, uh, the next contract is, is out there. And, and in order to get that, you've got to be, it's kind of like a sales funnel. You, yeah, you have to always be, be prospecting. Exactly. And it's, and it's, it's tricky because, um, consulting is a lot like, uh, the medical profession where hmm. usually people will seek you out if they have a problem. Um, it's not like you can walk up to somebody and go, Hey, do you need a triple bypass, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, it's more, they come in a, on the, the ambulance. So, um, you, you, you have to, um, be Very able to point. be talking to people, ne um, networking and letting people know what you do, um, consistently beyond the client work that, you know, hopefully is keeping you busy. Yeah. Brand building and that reputation stuff that you talked about in the book as well. Uh, yeah. one thing that we, we like to remind people of is it's not always, what you know, it's not always who you know, but who knows what you do. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> yes, absolutely. Exactly. All right. So uh, I'll let you go. Uh, you have some events happening this year, the 10 bound sales development conference. I think this is the sixth in-person conference you're going to have uh, this year. Uh, am I right? And you have some virtual events happening as well. So I know 10 bound is heavy in the event space. Uh, the conference is phenomenal. Can you talk to us a little bit about what's coming up uh, in terms of conferences for Tenbound? But what other conferences are you looking at this year? Yeah, absolutely. So the first one coming up this year in 23 is on March 22nd. And it's um, it's our spring. It's a virtual conference. It's our spring conference. And it's, it's uh, planning for the year, even though it's a little bit late in the year, but um, the, it's focused on leadership for pipeline and revenue leaders. So we'll be talking planning, um, you know, uh, getting all your ducks in a row to make sure that you crush your number in, in 23. Beautiful. Beautiful. So that stuff. one's exciting. That's virtual. And then um, I'm actually, I'm teaming up with the gang over at si uh, Signals, which is formerly known as... Um, chat fun uh chat, chat funnels, funnels. Mm -hmm. yeah and um and they're doing a revops um tech summit on february uh 15th where we'll be um i can't remember what i'm talking about right now <laughs> we'll be talking rev tech and RevOps and what's coming down the line for that so that that's going to be great very good very good well yeah. uh i know you probably haven't figured out where you're gonna have the in-person <laughs> event but any ideas yeah. Um, well, you know, Dreamforce is back in action in San Francisco. Um, uh, hopefully, I mean, they're like I said, efficiency is yeah. all about. So um, I, I don't know what the date is yet, but yeah. probably something around Dreamforce um, right here in San Francisco this year. Awesome. Well, close to home. Appreciate it. Well, yeah. David, where should people find you if they want to learn more or tap into 10 Bound? 
Yeah, so it's just uh, T-E-N-B-O-U-N-D, tenbound.com, and tons of free resources. Best way is probably get on the newsletter, and uh, that'll keep you up to date on the, the all the publications and events and different things that we're doing. You've been listening to the Sales Consultant Podcast. If you enjoyed the interview and would like to support the show, please be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or on Spotify. Please also consider following our LinkedIn page. If you're an industry expert or if you know an industry expert that should be on the show, message us on LinkedIn at the Sales Consultant Podcast.